Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to The Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by Rob Blanchett. And we're talking about something positive for Manchester United. Finally, we have what Rob, Rob was there for the Brentford game the other day, Saturday, a 2-1 win, Scott McTominay's injury time double and... I believe they call it limbs, Rob. Oh God, limbs indeed. Like limbs in the. In, that's the minimum way of describing it. Um, just an amazing few minutes at Old Trafford after a kind of strange football match again for Manchester United. But just the most glorious way to kind of end a football match. Yes, people say that it was only Brentford, but we know how badly this Manchester United team is struggling. And my God, did they need those few moments from Scott McTominay. Yeah, we'll talk about just how much of a difference that win could make to, well, we go, we're in a two-week international break now, or mm. near enough two-week international break. Can you imagine the difference if that hadn't happened? Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the uh, performance of even Harry Maguire as well. We'll talk about Eric Ten Hag. We'll talk Casemiro, who is... Maybe not so many positives, but we'll 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 have that conversation, and we'll talk a bit of Rafa Varane as well. Mm. But yeah, we'll be looking back at that game and the significance of what it means moving forward, um, because we have obviously an international break coming up. So we'll we'll save some other stuff for later shows. So tune in. We usually do Tuesdays and Fridays. Subscribe wherever you get your pods and watch us on YouTube as well. The Promise and a Manchester United podcast. And like the video, subscribe, leave a comment and hit the notification bell so you never miss a video on YouTube. Follow us on social media as well at double underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B and at Promise and MU for the show as well. So my first my first section heading here, Rob, is unlikely heroes because they, mm. they, kind, of, they kind of are really. Uh, Scott McTominay obviously gets a lot of stick. We'll start with him. Gets a lot of stick and... You probably Ten Hag needed that win. I don't really think you can give him too much credit for throwing on Scott McTominay because United essentially just went into God. We need to win mode. We need to score mode, and I think that's what we saw. It was like for the free kick, the free kick for the second goal was like long ball lofted into the box, knocked down header, that kind of thing. And it's not really too much you can read into it tactically, but in terms of the, the significance of the actual goals being scored, I think Scott McTominay said that was one of his favorite moments on a football pitch, if not his favorite moment on a football pitch, which was, which sums up the situation. I think it was one of my favorite moments in le- recent memory, totally in terms of how the stadium reacted and how we all felt when, when Scotty put that second header in the top corner. 
Um, do you know what, Scott? Like in the last show, we talked a lot about the fringe, didn't we? We did a show about selection and about failing stars and you know, who should you bring in? And I was quite radical in how I how I approached that and said, like, you know, you need to use players from the fringe. Uh, it doesn't mean that I believe that Harry Maguire, Scott McTominay, you know, Johnny Evans, these players are your long-term answers. But sometimes in a moment, Scott, needs must. And you just need to push and push hard. And sometimes you need to look down your squad list to find your hero. That's how it works. Think about when United won the treble. You know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was not a starter at Manchester United, was he? He was a substitute. You know, he was someone actually on the fringe in many ways. He was the fourth choice striker in many in, in many people's eyes. But I think bringing on Scotty in those moments, you know, like especially you know right at the end of the football match, there was at least a, a genuine urgency from Manchester United to rescue themselves, and that's why in that roll of the dice, you know, we were in Las Vegas, weren't we? Roll those two dices. Man United somehow rolled two sixes. Amazing moment, really. And and just that the, just that they really wanted it, Scott. And you saw with the celebration at the end there where they all came together and the whole stadium was with them. Like we we were all one, you know, 75,000 people and that football team. And all of the stuff that's been going on for weeks, Scott, with I don't know, ownership, players, who who's gonna do what in the future injury crises all of that got wiped away in a split second because Manchester United showed their personality or the personality that we want them to, we want them to show and they were rewarded and we were rewarded so just an, an amazing moment at Old Trafford yes it was only Brentford but I really do believe that the managers of Britcheries were being written by editors across the land here in this country about how Ten Hag was going to either get sacked during the international break or at least there was going to be calls for him to be sacked every TV station, every radio station across the universe. And somehow these players pulled that rabbit out of the hat. And yeah, you just said this, Scott, it's been quiet last two, three days, isn't it? And it would have been bedlam for us in this industry. It would have just been nonstop about who you're going to change, who the new manager is going to be and what Man United should do. Uh, he bought himself a little bit of extra time. Yeah, he did. And for me, I was watching that game the other day. Obviously, my experience was a lot different to yours. Um, I wasn't there, but I was seeing, you know, I was scrolling through socials and that kind of thing. And it, it was this team, they've given up on another manager. They've thrown another manager under the bus, this kind of thing. I haven't felt that at all yet. Mm. Like, I, I don't think that is the case. What I think we're seeing and the reason why United are losing, I think there's players in there who are either a incapable of doing what the manager wants them to do or are just a bit careless or are kind of in the team based on stature and reputation hmm. as opposed to... And we talked about meritocracy and that that kind of thing. And I don't think we've... Maybe Ten Hag is selling himself short there, in a sense, because he keeps picking players who aren't really putting in the performances he needs. But he did address that a few days ago as well and said that players eventually run out of credit. So we'll, we'll hmm. talk about running out of credit later on. Um, with regard to, to Casemiro, I don't want to. I don't want to dig out Casemiro, but we, Rob, we did yeah. speak at when we signed him. We have to talk about him. We will. We will. We got um, pulled. He got pulled at half time. So yeah, you're right, you're right about the running out of credit line. I think that's really important for Ten Hag. Yeah. So you know, but, but I think the point I'm trying to make there is that I have I have not seen these players give up yet. What I'm seeing is silly mistakes. Um, house of cards falling down when you make one mistake everything mm. else underneath it falls apart and Eric Ten Hag actually says that 
publicly that it's about everybody from front to back has to defend everybody from front to back you work as a team you you play together as a team this kind of thing and if somebody makes one mistake the house of cards falls down and we i think we saw that again with casemiro giving the ball away yeah just carelessly in midfield then united make a one mistake lindelof doesn't really clear it that well onana that can't can't save the ball you know we won't talk onana today but you know, it's uh, there, there's definitely causes for concern there, but I don't think it's because of an attitude. I think this is um, Ten Hag working with players that perhaps are not ideal fits for what he wants to do in the long term. That, that's kind of how I saw it. Um, but obviously, significant weekend as well, emotional weekend really at Old Trafford with uh, Lady Kathy Ferguson passing mm. away as well. Um, that I think I believe it was the day before. Um, we've also had, you know, there was that feeling of emotion there. I know Scott McTominay's posted on his own socials, like it, with a picture of him and Sir Alex Ferguson saying, this one was for you, boss. And he's not the only player to have done that either. And, uh, you know, it was an emotional day all around. And I think to tie in, he actually said he watched the David Beckham documentary as well, which, mm. which is um, a reminder of what United used to be like mm. for all these players. So that was obviously fresh in the mind. And I think we saw a little bit of that on Saturday as well. So the the feeling could be so different if that hadn't happened. But yeah, I just rambled on a bit there, Rob. No, it's, it's interesting that the Beckham documentaries kind of come at exactly the same time as this result in the manner that it has. You know, it's, it's almost like a carbon copy of of Barcelona, isn't it? When, when the Champions League, obviously the stakes completely different. But it is about attitude, Scott. And you just said there about players running out of credit and, and, and whatnot. You know, we, we live in a, a football world now where kind of populism reigns supreme, where fans have favourites. And, and that's how teams are picked in fans' heads and on all of these things. And a lot of the stuff that maybe we see in terms of mistakes or one thing or another, don't really, not don't get highlighted, but maybe don't get analysed in a way that they should do because people people just gravitate towards other players and, and, that, and they stick with that. They don't really want to look any deeper than that. Um, you just mentioned Anana there. I will say something about Anana. Is that, you know, he should save that goal. There's no doubt about it. You know, it's he, he can get his hand on it. He just has to push it away. But I think, again, it just is absolutely what we said in the previous show, what I said, was that he's a rabbit in headlights. So at the moment, things in front of him are not working. And he's a bit like, what, what, what have I signed for here? Oh, my God. Like, I don't have protection. I don't have the things I need. Funnily enough, I think as the game went on, United did get better after that goal, certainly in the second half, and did their jobs at centre-back positions. And that helped Tanana. But I just think, like Ten Hag now, if he's going to fix this going forward, and this result can be a catalyst for that, he's going to have to shake it up. Is that the starting lineups are going to not look familiar to a lot of Man United fans. That he's going to have to do one or two things every now and then until players are fully fit. Because at the moment... The same old guard, the ones with all the medals in their pockets, Scott, are not doing it. They're not cutting it. It's just the bottom line. And I think now the manager might well have learned that. It doesn't mean let's start Scott McTominay every game. That doesn't mean that. But do you know what? Scott McTominay is a really well in an advanced position for Scotland. Maybe we play him there for a little bit. Give him a go. Let him support Hoyland. Find ways of doing it. Or do you just pick Rashford every week? Or do you just pick the same player every week. Just pick Bruno Fernandes. Don't even question it because they're your best players. So, yeah, we can talk through a little bit of that today. 
yeah, obviously that's bought Ten Hag time. Yeah. You and I have both been firmly... Uh, most United fans are firmly behind the manager still. I think, obviously, he's getting a lot of criticism. I don't think if they'd have lost that game that he would have gone in this international break. I don't think we're there yet, but I feel like the noise would have just cranked up mm. a few decibels. And inevitably, we've seen other managers over the past few years hit that position, and then it's just a slippery slope to, to a sacking. Uh, but I feel like... You can see with Ten Hag's celebration there, he knew that he needed that. He he, oh, yeah. he felt that he needed that. His he kind of lost his lost his own head as it was, just like everybody else on the ground did. Um, but it's so important for him because it buys him a bit of time, buys him a bit of uh, alleviates the pressure a little bit. He's now not got to deal with a press conference for the next two weeks or, or something like that and get grilled. He can just bury his head, get get his head down try and work with the players that he has uh, on the training pitch to try and stop making some of the errors that he has. And hopefully in, in in the next couple of weeks, some injuries will clear up. United again having, they, they actually did, they didn't do exactly what I asked them to do, <laughs> but they did play, they play Victor Lindelof at left back. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously Johnny Evans came in with uh, Varane out injured again, but they put Amrabat in the midfield that we, we asked for that, didn't we? Yeah. What do you think made a difference? What, Amrat playing midfield? Yeah. I think it did. And I think this this was the thing is that, that Ten Hag, is, being a conservative coach, tends to kind of work things out in a systematic order. So like we all we all highlighted that. We all wanted to see Amrat start in midfield. And we said, well, this is the kind of radical option. This is what I would do. It's what I was saying in the last show. And then we were like, what he'll probably do is play 4 2 3 1 with Casemiro. That's how he's going to start. That's what he does. So he did that, didn't he? And the first half didn't work. And he pulled him, pulled Casemiro. And I think in the second half, playing Amrabat as a single pivot worked really well. It kind of nullified what Brentford were trying to do on the front foot. And Amrabat, again, I think, travels beautifully around the area. He's combative. He wants to do all that kind of work, the, the, the dog's work, as I like to describe it. And that gave Ericsson more room to, to work in, you know, to go, kind of get the ball on the deck and play a little bit more. You also saw Bruno in the second half invert a lot more and come into the central midfield uh, rather than holding some of the width. So I think, again, yeah, Amrabat playing central midfield. Now, if I'm the manager, I'm thinking hey, he has to play there now. Like, I don't care if I'm playing whoever at left back. I have to find a way to keep this guy in the central pivot. And, and that central pivot is not Casemiro plus one. It's Amrabat plus one. That's the way it might end up having to be. So, yeah, like you just said about buying time and stuff, uh, there's no doubt that for two weeks till the next Man United game, all the noise would have been, like you said, it would have gone up a level. It would have gone up 25 levels. It would have just been every back page about how do you sack this manager and who's going to be the next manager. And that's where we've been going. And I was, my post-match analysis, I was thinking, you're going to have to start writing caveats, Rob, saying, well, if the team's not playing well, then yeah, you might have to consider changing the manager, but I don't want that. And I know you don't, Scott. And I think most normal Man United fans don't want that. But I think, you know, he bought himself time, but I think we also saw some hope. There's something in there. Like if you get your players back, your injured players, that there are players also in the background who are not being used, like the Maguires, like the Evans, that will put in the shifts for you to get you over the line to keep you getting points. And that will buy you more time. Yeah, I mean, we've seen in the... I know this is a different kettle of fish completely, but Man City have been without Kevin De Bruyne. They were without Rodri the other day yeah. in the, the defeat to Arsenal. And they don't play the same... They couldn't play the same way. 
nope. United without their entire back four, and they have been for most of the season. They they just don't have nope. a, a first choice eleven. And I don't want to keep jumping on this, but Eric Ten Hag bought Lisandro Martinez to mm. start with because that is a footballer that can actually take the ball under pressure in central defence and yeah. pass the ball forward. And he's stuck with a 35-year-old Johnny Evans, Harry Maguire, who, yeah, he, he played well, and he's played well in the last couple of appearances, but yeah. he specifically bought Martinez to progress that area, and he's, he's having to deal with a 35-year-old and Harry Maguire, who were in a centre-back period at Leicester City a few years ago. He's got a right, he's got a centre-back at left-back, and he's got Dallow, who, yeah, arguably, maybe you could say he's first choice, but I think me and you would both pick Wan-Bissaka to start with. So that's the that's the first choice back four that's that's not there. The other injuries seem to be clearing up a bit, and hopefully we'll get... I don't think Reguilon's going to be ready for the Sheffield United game, but hopefully somebody will get back to play in at left-back naturally uh, soon enough. But yeah, Ten Hag needed... He needs a bit of time, and I think he's bought it. It's also worth shouting out here, by the way, how... This isn't a shout-out. This is not a shout-out, but how do United even consider sacking Ten Hag when they have a financial position like they have? They talk about financial fair play. He's on a big contract. <laughs> I know he's got 18 months left plus a year, but that's going to be a hefty payout, and then you have to buy a, bring in another manager, yeah. possibly for a release clause, this kind of thing. So I, I don't think we, I don't think we were there... I don't think we would have been there, but the pressure, it just eats you up, doesn't it? When, once that pressure mounts up, it can eat up most people. And Ten Hag was so evidently relieved that <laughs> that happened because it just eased some of the pressure. And United are six points off Man City now when they're, they're playing them in a couple of weeks at Old Trafford. So it's funny how things turn. You know, if United beat City yeah. in a couple of weeks' time, which they did last season, be three points off City after 10 games. But so then, it's, it, yeah. you know. You know. Yeah, it was only two or three weeks ago people were saying to me, give Ten Hag a new contract because you might go to Bayern Munich. And I was like, no, just calm it down. <laughs> like, let's talk about stuff later in the season or at the end of the season. And I think that's also the, the correct frugal way to run your business. You don't need to be knee-jerking some of those contractual things. As you said, you give a manager a new contract and then you're sacking them within six months. not really the, the right way. I think with Ten Hag, the right thing to do with him is say, earn it. You know, you, we want you to stay here. We like you. We want you to carry on the project. But you've got to earn it. We've got to see in the next few months that these, these players continue to play for you. And I think it's also, Scott, this is also about squad, uh, squad management in the sense that people always used to accuse Ole Gunnar Solskjaer of favouritism with players. And I used to say it wasn't favouritism. It's just who he trusted. And I think Ten Hag is caught in that kind of loop as well, is that he trusts certain players. He looks at them and says, I know you can do that. I know you can do that. But football's not always a perfect circle. Sometimes you have to kind of, you know, do things to make it work. Look at Guardiola against Arsenal. He couldn't make his illustrious treble winning squad work on the day, could he? he it just didn't work for them. And, and Arsenal, who've got injuries as well, did make it work just a little bit more and won the game. So United are in that position for me. Is that, as you just said there, you're not far off Man City, but to me, that doesn't really mean a lot. What I'm looking at here is the game to game progression. And can you do something that might not be pretty, but you're doing the right things to make sure you're not losing football matches. Just a highlight as well there, Scott, in the game, like the goal. Like we talked about Casemiro just a little bit there and, and the goal. There was like four mistakes before Anana's soft hand, you could say. And that, again, has been Man United's problem, isn't it? It's that you get like four individual errors in the blink of an eye and you kind of think to yourself, can you just stop it? <laughs> Can you just stop the bleeding sometimes? And I think that's what Ten Hag has to work on, is to make sure these players are, I don't know, 
more prepared. I don't know if he can do well, that. He, he says that in every single meeting with the media. He says we have to do the basics 100% of the time. We have yeah. to be concentrating 100% of the time because yeah. that is Im- imperative to how how his teams will play. Mm. And that's... United have fallen behind in a hell of a lot of games this season, you know? Mm-hmm. And they're always chasing. They always seem to be chasing. They went ahead at Arsenal uh, and lost, but at the same time, that is a game against Arsenal. But they've had <clears throat> decent spells in some matches, <clears throat> but conceded because they've been careless. And then that's completely flipped the perception of like what United are trying to achieve and like how people are judging this season. Obviously, they're going to get criticism. They literally 10th in the league mm. or wherever they are. But I think it's... There are massive problems there, but I think if you fix them, you might see a sharp improvement. I, I, I don't know. Definitely. I don't know. Yeah, and, and I think the time has come now to stop relying on the players who are your big wage earners, your illustrious flag wavers in terms of, you know, the, the popularity. And, oh, look, I've got five Champions League medals in my pocket. Well, these things do not count for anything when you can't handle Brentford in midfield. So, like, this, this is you have to work within the realms of reality, don't you, and build around that. You talked briefly as well about Evans and Maguire. The reason why they've come out of this game with a bit of credit, Scott, is because they did do the basics. They did. And watching Johnny Evans, right, from my seat, because he was on my side of that side of the pitch, is that you watch what Johnny Evans does. Johnny Evans is thinking, I'm not going to get run here, so I'm going to make sure the space between me and mainly Mumbai, or sometimes Whistler, or sometimes one of the midfielders or the fullbacks, I'm going to give myself the room to see what's happening. So I will step off a little bit. And that's what you want. Whereas Lindelof on the opposite does the opposite and goes too too hard, too fast, gets caught and then gets done. So that's why I was saying play Johnny Evans because Johnny Evans is good at the basics. Is he old? Yes. Is he is he top quality? Probably not. But he knows that. He's got the experience. And that's why he put in a good performance, Scott. That's why I think as the manager, you have to look at those things and say, right, it's not my first choice, but I know this player his skill set is X, Y, and Z. So I'm going to play on that and lean on that. And I think that's what happened in the second half. There was a shift. You know, the first half felt very dysfunctional and same old, same old. You conceded a goal. Felt like Crystal Palace. Second half, Man United did chase the game and they chased it better. I think when they made the substitutes, Garnacho on the far side for Rashford. I think those those changed the ethics of the game. And it, it meant in the last few minutes, Scott, you could rescue yourself. You mentioned Casemiro. We said we'd talk about him. Yeah. Uh, I did a tweet the other day. I'm seeing Jude Bellingham scoring every other game or every single game for Real Madrid. Yeah. I mean, this is the this is the endless cycle United have been stuck in. And I, I'll, I will, I'll say this right. I think Casemiro is great. I, I have fully backed him for the duration of like his mm. United career so far. Even at the start of the season, I said. You know, giving him some time, I would like to see because I feel like the gap in midfield is just too much for him mm-hmm. to deal with at the minute. But the fact of the matter is now I've, I've had more time to watch him and he's making too many errors and it's meaning United can see goals. And it's not agendas. It is not. No. Um, it's just I'm calling what I see here. Football. I watched watch Brighton play, play. I watched Brighton play Liverpool mm. on Sunday, right? And I saw Carlos Baleba. They, they've just signed him from, from the French League. Yeah. And they think this kid is going to be better than Moises Caicedo. That, that's what they've been talking about. I think they signed him for 25 million or something like that. Yeah. 
he made some mistakes, obviously, but he came in. Brighton have signed him because of the profile that he has. He's able to take the ball. He's able to turn out of pressure. He's able to pass out of pressure. He's able to progress the ball up the pitch. And United do not have that kind of presence in there at the moment. And Casemiro can't do it. Casemiro is very much, I will, I'll hold in the midfield and hopefully keep an anchor and keep a base. But the fact of the matter is when he gets the ball under pressure, he gives the ball away. And he, we've started to see that a lot more as well. And talking about when credit runs out for players, I think we've seen Ten Hag persist with Casemiro over the last few weeks by, I think, hooking him half time and then saying, I wanted more football in bringing Christian Eriksen on. It might be the end of Casemiro's credit for a little while. I'm not sure. I think it should be at the very least. Like sometimes with players, it's can't do or won't do. And I think with Casemiro, it's not won't do. It's not about his attitude. It's not really about, you know, can he be bothered? Like I think towards the end of Ronaldo at Man United, it kind of felt like it won't do. It's like Ronaldo was just like, well, I'm done here. Hands on hips. I'm just going to live in this world for a bit. I earn quite a lot of money. I'm I'm fine. I'm going to go when I want to go. I think with Casemiro... Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We said this again before, is that the Premier League is a beast in midfield. It's really difficult to cope in there. And I think he's trying to cope. And in fact, Scott, in that moment where he gave the ball away, what did he do? He overcommitted. He gave the ball away and he just has to stand on his feet. Stand on your feet and keep that space and go and address the player. Let Make them go around you. Don't let them skip past you. And what did he do? He dives in. We know that Casemiro, since day dot, dives in and we've said stop diving in Casemiro. So he dives in and you get punished. So... Uh, th this is why we are going to talk continuously on this show for the rest of the season about Kobe Manu and about Hannibal and about players like that. Is that it doesn't mean they're better than Casemiro in the grand schemes of football, but they're better for you. They're better for what you're trying to do. And it is better that kids make mistakes, Scott, than five times Champions League winners. It is. Because... At least with kids, you go, well, we're building them up. We're getting somewhere, you know, and you're not building anything with Casemiro up. He's on a one-way ticket, Saudi Arabia. He will not be at the football club by the end of the season. But I would not even be surprised if something happens in the January window and he goes, I'm done here. I'm not, I'm not playing anymore. I'm on the bench. This is boring. I'm not going to play any more games for the rest of the season. I'm coming on for 10, 15, 20 minutes to plug holes. And I don't want that because, you know, I'm an illustrious footballer and someone's offering me three, four hundred thousand pounds a week to go and play in their new league. So I think that's the way it's going to go. And I think that's the only way it can go. I think you have to stick now with your your fringier players and your young players and find a method to cope towards the next transfer window. And yes, Scott, you're going to have to go and do a Brighton. You're going to have to find these players in the 20 to 30 million pound bracket that you can build up and make better. 
Like, we've got to stop all this Galactico nonsense. It doesn't work at Man United. It hasn't worked for 10 years. You have to find the balance. Buy some stars every now and then, but buy some players that can operate in your squad week to week. I think the midfield is the most important area for that as well, really, because there's a the profile of a central midfielder nowadays is just... You have to be able to do everything. You have to have the energy. Absolutely. You have to have the ability to dribble with the ball. You have to have the the, the ability to pass the ball. You have to have uh, defensive now, so you have to be able to get forward and backwards. Absolutely. And like, I I'm not saying at all. Like Casemiro has done his. He did his job last season. He mm. he absolutely did. He came in and he made a hell of a difference to the team. He did. But we flagged at the time, Rob. We're giving him a four year deal. I think it was on three fifty a week or or something like that. Mm-hmm. There will be a time where we have to have this conversation. We had that conversation at the time of his signing, and then he made a hell of a difference, and we kind of quietened down for a while mm. because it looked like it was working. But the fact of the matter is, we were always going to come to this point. I think we probably come to this point a little bit sooner than we'd have hoped. But you know, we have to have that conversation. I'm sure Eric Ten Hag is probably looking at that and thinking, "Yeah, I, I should probably." address that in the midfield i'm not saying casimir will never start a game again for united but i think you've got to be looking beyond this and looking at the profile of a premier league midfielder now and thinking god i need to get one or two of them i think kobe will play a. am quite high on kobe it's a lot of pressure to put on a, a young lad but i think he, he can probably make a difference in there i think if, he, if he'd have been fit from the start of the season we'd have actually seen him in the midfield Definitely. quite a yeah. bit yeah uh, but just so just so happens that we haven't and <sighs> United have this attitude for years of, oh, let's go buy Casemiro. Right, they did. Look at Real Madrid. I came to this point just now. Jude Bellingham is scoring 10 goals or 8 goals or how many goals he's got. (laughs) Every single week he's scoring a goal for Real Madrid. Behind him, he's got Chuamani, Camavinga, Valverde, like prime midfielders of the modern age who are going to be midfielders of the modern age for the next 10 years. United, meanwhile, have been buying their cast-offs. And yeah. Real Madrid were delighted to sell Casemiro for 70 million quid at 29, 30 years old. They were absolutely delighted to do it. United fell for it. And that's the difference between how Real Madrid run and how Man United run. And I feel like United have to be more sensible and less panicky in the future because they bought Casemiro on a whim. They thought, yeah. oh God, we've just lost 4-0 to Brentford. We have to do something. And they did. Made a difference for a while, but you know they've caused a problem for themselves in the long run, which I'm sure they can fix. You just talked about Saudi Arabia, Rob, and I feel like I would be shocked if that didn't happen. I would be absolutely shocked. But it's happening already. <laughs> it's, it's sorry, I've just just rambled on a bit there, but you, you know what I'm trying to say, and I, I do not want people to come in and say, "Oh, you're writing off Casemiro. You're saying that he's useless and this kind of thing." I think he's done his job he did his job last season for united but he tailed off and if you're building a squad that can compete at the very top level for the next five ten years it was a stopgap signing definitely definitely and i think if we want to look at this forensically scott because again a lot of people say to me oh casemiro was great last year no casemiro was great for about 25 games that's the truth casemiro came into the team do you remember there was an extended stay where you couldn't get in a team he came into the team he improved us massively and he improved us for about a 25 to 30 game spell. 
And at the end of the season, if anyone was watching Casemiro's performance really closely, Casemiro was garbage. He was not good after he came back. But I think, again, because he'd built up a little bit of credit and he's Casemiro, we were like, well, you know, you have to run with it. And you didn't have choices, did you? So, like, you you, you, you have to go with it. You know, that's where, where you were. But Casemiro had that spell of 25 to 30 games and it helped Man United get in the top four massively. It was a huge part of that. You played 350 grand a week for that privilege, and you paid Real Madrid 60 million pounds for a reserve. So, Real Madrid, I know when that happened, the reason why I was a little bit hesitant was people I know at Madrid and in La Liga were saying to me, Why are Man United buying this player for 60 million? Like, we know he's got medals, but like, this is the end of his career. And he's now going to the Premier League, which is tougher than La Liga, and he can't get in our team. So, you know, good luck to you, Man United. That's how I felt. Looking at it, obviously Casemiro for a short spell helped us, didn't he? But Casemiro can no longer help us, Scott. Like you're just saying that you're not going to say it. I'm going to say it. He probably shouldn't start again. Like I don't think he's got the engine to do that job, or you know, he's got the faculties, he's got the skill levels, but we're already seeing Casemiro defer the six to go play higher up the pitch because there's less risk up there. You know, so I can score a goal now and then, so I'll get forward a little bit more and I can do that. So I'm not trying to bash Casemiro. What I'm saying is he just can't help you. Just cannot. So he's going to have to sit on the bench and he will not want to sit on the bench. That's it. Simple, simple as that. And it will be him pushing to leave the football club as much as Man United saying we're not going to start you. And and there will be games you start, Scott, but only just because of injuries and needs must and whatever. But I'm already looking at it and I'm saying Amrabat plus one. And that plus one for me is not Casemiro at the moment. Like, I don't know about you. Like, I don't think people can watch it and go, yeah, Amrabat solves Casemiro's issues. No, Amrabat solves Man United's deeper midfield issues in terms of work rate and getting the ball in the deck and progressing it. Casemiro, unfortunately, now is, is a very, very expensive mistake that a year ago was okay, but now it's come to fruition way too quickly that, uh, that it looks like his time is done, I think, in the Premier League. That's the way I read it. Yeah, obviously, we have three months before a transfer window opens. Well, in England, anyway. I'm not sure of the mm-hmm. Saudi windows, but... Um... But that I will go like on that. the horizon. It's on the horizon. Click. That. It will go so quick. It will be like we'll be in January transfer window chat so soon. Um, and again, if, the play, if he's not playing, I do not think he's going to say, yeah, I'll sit on the bench for the rest of the season. I think he will be saying I've got offers and, you know, it's my reputation and my my bank balance. Um, I'm not saying he's not committed to Man United, but I do think there will come a point where we are going to have to go with Manu as maybe your, your main number eight, which is crazy at this age. But, I'm good with that. Like it's like Garnacho. Well, I made, made the comparison playing. last week, Rob. I know New, uh, PSG lost or got thumped at Newcastle, but you look at Zaire Emery in that midfield. He's been playing. He's one of the hot prospects to come out of that academy. One of the best prospects to come out of that academy for years. Yeah, and he's already 16, 17, playing first team football. So if you're good enough, you can. Why is all right, Barcelona? Why does Barcelona's play kids? Like everyone like lords it and goes, oh, okay. for years, and yet we can't play kids when we think that they're off that standard. It's, it's a weird little comparison for me. And it's that, you know, yeah, Kobe Manu doesn't got the medals yet, but you want Kobe Manu to be your Jude Bellingham. You want to big him up now and push him forward and not put the weight of the football club on him, Scott, but play him. Give him minutes. So I think when he comes back now, and he will come back very soon, he's obviously training. I think we're going to see plenty of Kobe Manu in the central midfield. And do you know what, Scott? If he makes mistakes, so what? Play him. Get Give him the confidence to get the ball on the deck and get you going. I think United fans will be really excited by his style of play with Amrabat. I think Manu and 
and uh, Amrabat could be a really dynamic midfield that get Man United back on track. You just said the word dynamic with a Man United midfield. Like weird, <laughs> isn't it? Like, <laughs> and that's why I like Hannibal because I think he brings that dynamism to the team. Like he he comes in there with a kind of like chip on his shoulder type player, isn't it? It's like you know you. I'm going to fight today and I've also got quality on the deck. And it's interesting that the manager has said that he's trying not to burn Hannibal out. It's what he said the other day. He was like, I'm trying not to overplay him because he's not used to playing twice a week. But he's kind of hinting that he would play him twice a week if he could at the moment. So I think we'll see much more minutes for for Manu and Hannibal with Amrabat and Mason Mount. Like, I... I, I... Quietly, just kind of happy with some of his work. Like he's not—he's not dynamic, but he does do certain, some of the work in certain zones that I think help you get the ball in the deck and progress it. And I think you have to make this all work together in, in terms of chemistry. Yeah, get in the comments and tell us your thoughts on uh, on Casemiro. I'm sure, like I'm sure, people will disagree with what we've said, but of course they will. You know, it is what it is. I'm just—you uh, got United have to plan for the next five years. They, they do. They have to make signings that are going to mean that they're not falling to 10th in the league or 12th or 11th in the league after seven games, they, they, eight games. They've got to make sure that they're being sensible. They've got to make sure their profiling of players is right. I, lo- I like the Hoyland shout, like more of this. I know they overpaid for Hoyland in, in a sense, and they're probably going to get that because they're Man United. But at the same time, you should have a network like... We talked about that Brazilian lad the other day, Loran, I think it was. They've been linked with mm. other Brazilian strikers, uh, Brazilian youngsters as well. You know, that kind of profiling, bring in some players who have a bit of mystery around them because you've actually scouted them properly and you feel like they can contribute to the team and make your team better. Stop jumping for the most expensive, most expensive flashy names. You've got Jaden Sancho who can't even get in the bloody training ground at the minute. He's watching the under-18s all the time. Uh, another one of these, Rafa Varane as well. Mm. Missed now 35 games. <clears throat> I think I think it's due to injury since joining in 2021. That's a lot. I know, Rob, you talked in the summer about Kim and how United need to make that sign in. And I thought, I don't, I don't know. I don't see how they can do it given their financial situation without selling somebody first. But mm. this is the problem we were going to find that Rafa Varane just absent on a on an hour's notice or something like that because he can't physically hack it anymore. Yeah, I think the whole central defence issue for Man United is by like seeing a truck coming from like a mile away and then not deciding to move until it's one inch from your nose. That's Man United with the centre-back. So I think the thing is with Varane, we've known this is the way it's gone from last year, from the moment almost he's been at the football club, is that you needed to do something at centre-back to, to get yourself some coverage. And what did you do? You did Johnny Evans. So you know, you're stuck with that and you're going to have to use Johnny Evans in those moments to help you get over it. But I think this is the end for Varane as well. Again, I don't want to sound like knee-jerk or over the top, but when a player has lost his use for you as a team, as a club, get rid, move on, get the next player in. It's kind of the Pep Guardiola mentality. That's how I think as well. Yeah, you were good at this, Cancelo, but you're not any good anymore. Pep does it even before anybody else has noticed. Exactly, because that's his job. Alex Ferguson used to do it before anybody else had noticed. Totally, totally. I can remember Fergie doing it with both Yapstam and Rude Van Nistelrooy at a time when the fans were outraged. They were like, you know, Rude's gone. Why? And he was like, because this is happening 
and now I want to do this. And and that's your job as a manager to put your neck on the block. And I think for Ten Hag, that is a big lesson in his first, what, year and a little bit at Man United, is that things can change so quickly, especially with injuries. You can have best laid plans, but you've also got to have plan B, plan C and plan D. There's no doubt United lack that and they lack that thought. Now, I'm not saying for one second that the manager didn't want to go out and buy Kim Min Jae. I know he did. He wanted that player and Man United went, no, we ain't got the money at the moment. So we're not doing that one because you want to buy a goalkeeper. It's the manager's choice at the end of the day, isn't it? For that. But Man United need to have a much more robust structure of recruitment. We've said it nonstop here. And I think with Rafa Varane, Scott, I, again, I don't think he will go mid-season. Like I think Casemiro might, Casemiro might go because he might not be playing. I think Varane will be, definitely be used towards the end of the season because you haven't got anything better. You need to go and get that centre-back now. You need to go find your Saliba. Yeah, people talk about Toddy Bow again. don't know if that's a good comparison. But you need someone, I think, who is younger, fitter, and will give you many more games in their own development at centre-back. Yeah, I think by the end of... Or by the start of next season, I think you'll probably think that both of those players will will have been sold, I think. They'll be gone. And I also think your Maguire's will be gone as well. And all the other players around the fringe who have kind of really suffered in, in terms of trying to get minutes. Yeah. Like, and, and that's something you can't, I know everybody wants success yesterday or they want success this season, this kind of thing, but inevitably if you can't, can, if you can't do your, your squad transition properly because you're being hamstrung with your ability to sell players by, by the club or by yeah. the players themselves, you're not going to progress as much as, and this is why I have sympathy with Ten Hag because he's not getting exactly, exactly everything that he wants. I know that no. people are saying he's like, oh, look at all these players he signed. His, his team are playing the same way that, or his team are his own team now. Look at the, the back four that lined up the other day. Come on. Like, really? You, you're telling me that that's what Eric Ten Hag would have chosen, would have chosen from the very beginning? No, that's not what he would have chosen at all. <laughs> totally not. Look, look they, 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 they gave him Mount for a big amount of money. They gave him Anana for a big amount of money. Then they kind of were forced to go and do Hoyland. And they did that after six months of Veghorst. So that was the way Man United thought that that was a good way of, of, of progressing to that player. And then you, you brought Amrabat in right at the end of the window. And I this is why I did the Amrabat solution video. Because I was thinking, if you didn't have Amrabat now, I think Man United would be in real trouble because you'd be stuck with Casemiro. You'd have to play Casemiro as the six. And these issues have been there since last season. This is not new, Scott. So if some fans are only picking on it now, this is not brand new stuff. And as you just said there, I don't think, I think the manager has been backed in terms of total cash outlay, but they certainly haven't done the right business. Like they haven't looked at it positionally and gone and done the right stuff. Because we said, if you get one or two or three injuries, you're in trouble. Guess what, Scott? They've got 13 injuries. So, like, then you're stuffed, aren't you? So, Man United, I think that also gives Ten Hag a little bit of grace is that the, the institution will look at that and say, OK, you know, you've lost games, but we can see this. But we also do know that Man United blame managers for all sorts of stuff that maybe isn't their fault. Do you think that that's still the case, though? Because, like, I look at when that last happened, yeah. who do we have? I know, well, Richard Arnold and John Murta brought in Ralph Randick, right? Yes. And I think the transition... That was Ed Woodward before that. I'm pretty sure it was. It was before that, but didn't they blame Ralph Ranick for six months? Well, like, they, Ralph... they did, but he was the, he was always going to be the four guy, wasn't he? And... Again, I did a show about Gagan Preston and Ralph Ranick right before when we got him, and I said I would like this guy to come in as the interim, right? So we we called that on the masterclass when we were looking at it, and he came in, 
And as you said, on day one, it was really good. We saw some pressing for 20 minutes against Crystal Palace and we saw nothing. And Ralph Ranić sat in his presses constantly and told us, shooting from the hip, this is what's wrong with his team. Need to get rid of this lot and do this. And by the end of his tenure, very prominent Manchester United journalists were blaming Ralph Ranić for the, the problem in the dressing room. <laughs> and the problem was not Ralph Ranić and it never was. In the same way that the problem is not Eric Ten Hag. In the same way that the problem wasn't Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So a lot of this is the systemic issues at Man United at the very top. We know that. But then you, you've got to build a squad sympathetically and you have to find players in the market that can help you move forward. This is what I think Richard Arnold has not showed to me that he's good at yet. Like Richard Arnold talks a good talk, talks better than Ed did, definitely. But I'm not seeing it yet. I'm not seeing some magical support for the manager. And I've got no doubt, Scott, if United did continue losing games now, they would sack the manager. I really do. I don't, uh, well, but my, I don't my feel point was that, that they would stick for him through thick and thin. My point was that I know I just mentioned that they haven't fully backed Ten Hag, but they have to a point, and they've put to a point. Well, but at the same time, like they, they're the ones who are going to get they full know they know full well that they're going to get the heat if 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 Ten Hag goes. I'm sure they do now because enough fans have seen through it. But they probably have more to lose by sacking Ten Hag rather than than sticking by him for me because they've signed a massive expense. The players that Ten Hag has wanted in certain areas of the pitch. And they haven't given him every every single thing. I feel it feels like to me this time round that Arnold, Murta, and Ten Hag are kind of like maybe there's some tension in there with the agency that he's using and this kind of thing. But I feel like they will give him every single chance because they know that they're going to have to do another bloody squad rebuild under another manager's uh, you know ideas, and it's going to come at great expense to them again when they can't actually they can't actually afford to do that again. So I feel like United are better off sticking with Ten Hag regardless. And I don't know, maybe maybe Richard Arnold is feeling like that as well. I think you stick with Richard, I think you stick with Eric Ten Hag, absolutely. That's my viewpoint on it and kind of football uh, sensibility <laughs> side. But if you lose games and the heat builds, they will relieve the pressure by sacking the manager and getting the new manager. Because that's what they do, like you just said there about, you know, to lose. What have they got to lose, Scott? They won't lose their jobs at the board. They don't lose their jobs. It doesn't happen like that. It doesn't like you failed again. You know, Joel Glazer is not going to sit there and say, well, you know, Richard, come into my office, come to over to America and we'll talk about this because like, your job's on the line. His job's not on the line. His job is not on the line. And this is part of the problem at United is that this is why you don't get progression. You know, they do things to a playbook, Scott. And the, the playbook is generally through the press. So like if the press heat on Man United is big, they then try and find solutions for that. So Eric Ten Hag, you know, loses this game against Brentford and it's two weeks of heat, 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 and then he loses another three games, he's guaranteed out. He's gone. They won't stick with him. They won't They won't suck it up and say, no, we're just going to back the manager and see what happens. They would sack him to bring in another name to put a little Band-Aid on a, on a huge cut in, in your arm. And that is what they do. They did it all the way from... They've done it. They, they did it with, with uh, Moyes. 11 months, not happy with him, move him out. They did it with Van Gaal, two years. Now nah, we're not happy with this now. Mourinho, he's the best coach in the world. Did it with Mourinho for like three years. No, we don't like it. It's not going to back no, him anymore. The point I'm trying to make is that's it. It's a different person doing it. Different person doing it, but the same club. And the same, that you say it's the same. You say that Ed Woodward is different to Richard Arnold. I think that they are, they're the same thing. They're accountants who came up together, who know each other through Manchester United. I do not 
I do not give Richard Arnold the, the football acumen that maybe some people do. I don't believe he understands football any more than Edward would. Uh, Edward would wanted a Galactico Man United to sell to the world, and he got that, and he made big sponsorship deals. And I'm sorry, I think Richard Arnold is the same. It's the truth. I don't. I don't. I, think, I, I don't think. I, don't yeah, sorry. Richard, I think if Richard Arnold wanted to win more, he'd have a director of football that actually that was actually in that real part of the game, like Brighton are going to find these talents. And John Murto isn't that. John Murto's not a bad person, but he's probably not qualified to do this job, being completely truthful in the same way that he... But I, I believe in Ten Hag. You know, I look at Ten Hag and I actually think he's our kind of director of football. He's the guy who's going to go, we have to build a style of pay. We have to buy these types of players. The problem is, Scott, is that they invest to a certain level and then they take the dividends out of the football club and then they stop investing for a bit. And that's the cycle. And I don't see anything... To me, that makes me think anything different to that, unfortunately. It's, a, it's what a, you think. a repetition for me of of ways that they operate that other clubs don't. Oh, I mean, ultimately, nothing's going. Nothing's fundamentally going to change until United change ownership, if, if that happens. Yeah, or the uh, ownership decides that they have to completely restructure the football side of the business, which would be having a proper director of football, a proper kind of sporting director. And that's what... Big, like, look at Arsenal. It's a good example with Edu and how they do stuff. They kind of had some full starts, but th- their structure is there to help them. And they went with Saka and they went with Martinelli early with youngsters, didn't they? And they went through the pain barrier to get to where they are now. United have got that opportunity now, Scott, to do that. Go for the pain barrier this season and we can all do that and watch it. But if it goes wrong a little bit, don't collapse and blow the manager up because that's what they've done in the past. They they, they blame managers for their problems, for the things that they've done at, the, at board level. Let us know what you think. Uh, we'll wrap it up there because, uh, you know, obviously positive feeling around United after that win over Brentford. Uh, but we spent the second half of the show talking about problems that they have to fix because let's be yeah. honest they, they, there are problems to fix there are a lot of them bit of reality in that some of that definitely yeah. so uh you know at least we're not talking under the gut under the pressure of three consecutive defeats there's a there's a win no matter how it came about you know just so happened to be a really enjoyable few minutes uh but papers over the cracks for a little bit and i think United have some work to do over the international break. But Mm. Rob, thanks again. Uh, We'll wrap it up there. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch us on YouTube as well. Like the the video, not the channel. Subscribe to the channel uh, and leave a comment for us as well on anything we've discussed today. Pop the notification bell on as well so you don't miss a show. And follow us on social media at double underscore Scott Saunders at underscore Rob underscore B and at Promise Sunday Mew for the show. And we'll see you soon, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to The Promised Land. Have a great week. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.